Welcome to the Dog Liaison Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. On this podcast, we like to get nerdy in understanding dog behavior and cognition. So if you like science, you want to know the why behind why your dog does what he does, and overall you just enjoy deep diving, then this podcast is for you. So let's get into it. Hey there, Dog Guardian. It's me jumping in to ask you if you would not mind, please leave a review if you're enjoying this show. It helps us tremendously in the algorithm. We would really appreciate it. And most importantly, please share this with a friend. Either post on your IG stories and make sure that you tag us so that we can celebrate with you or share it directly with a friend through DM or email and just let them know, hey, this episode made me think of you and you really should listen to it. Thank you so much for your support and let's get back into the episode. Hello, hello. Hello and welcome to today's episode. Thank you for this very special episode for tuning into this. This one is going to be a little sensitive. It's going to be close to Jenna's heart. We're going to peel back Jenna's tough exterior outlayer and we're going to dig deeper into her personal experience. (laughs) We're going to go behind the tough exterior of Jenna. We're going to get close. And then I'm also going to be turning this into a more actionable educational piece of content where we're talking about pities and their experience working through um, reactivity, aggression, anxiety, and other types of recovery. Uh, I want to talk about what it's like as a guardian of a breed like this. um, And also from the dog's perspective, what is their experience? So this is going to be a dual conversation. We're going to start off kind of personal. We're going to share with a little bit of a story with you that's close to my heart. And then we will shift into the more educational piece of it. Okay. Um, I do want to preface this conversation with a big of a trigger warning. We will be discussing just briefly behavioral euthanasia. So if that's a trigger for you and you're watching the replay or you're listening to this on the podcast, you can skip ahead when that point comes and I'll let you know when it's coming. Um, But we are going to touch into that just a little bit. And it also does deal with a child being attacked by a dog. So a little bit of a trigger warning there. If that's a sensitive piece of content for you, skip ahead to the educational piece. Okay. Uh, Before we get too deep into this conversation, if you guys are here live, can you do me a favor and tell me in the chat that everything is working well, throw some hearts up on the screen if you're ready to get into this piece of content and this discussion. I'd like to hear that everyone can see me all right, everyone can hear me all right, things are functioning the way that they should. All right, thank you so much for jumping in, teams. We, I see those hearts up on the screen. Thank you very much for that. Um, just in case you just jumped in, just one more time, trigger warning ahead, trigger warning ahead. Okay, we're getting into it. So I think I first need to come clean. I need a little bit of a transparency with you. Pitbulls and pity mixes have a very special place in my heart. I absolutely have a bias to the, to that, that breed and the mixes with that breed in it. Like just going to come clean. They are in my top three. I feel very closely connected to their spirits. They mean a whole lot to me. One of the reasons is because of the story that I'm going to share with you today. And when I see reactive or aggressive, quote unquote, let's not label dogs, but for the sake of this discussion, when I see a reactive or aggressive pity or pit mix, my heart just gets a little bit more sensitive, just a little bit. Okay. 
but I'm going to be a little bit more transparent with y'all. And here's why. So the too long didn't read is that when I was 12, my dog and I were attacked by two pit bulls. Okay. Um, here is the story in depth. If I, I don't think I've ever shared this story publicly. So I think there's probably very, 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 very few clients in the world that even know this story happened. Um, because I just don't talk about it a lot. So I was 12 and I was walking home from school. I was walking home from middle school. And typically, I, at that point in my life, was not home alone, typically. But this particular day, I ended up knowing that I was going to show up home by myself before my parents arrived. I knew this already. And I was walking home, come through the door. Typically, my very first thing that I'm going to do when I get home from school, whether my parents are there or not, is let my dogs out. And at this time in my life, I had two dogs. I had one dog, his name was Chase. And without going too digressing too much into Chase's story, Chase faced aggression as well. And he had a lot of battles, right? So I had Chase and then I also had Lola. And Lola was about a year younger than Chase. And uh, she and I had a closer relationship, shall we say, than I did with Chase because Chase had demonstrated a lot of aggression towards me and there just wasn't a lot, as much trust. Uh, so Lola and I, at that point in my life, had a much, much, much closer relationship. And I got home from school and I was gonna let them out to pee. And I, right before I happened to open the back screen door, right before I was about to let them out, I happened to look outside and notice there is a pit bull in my backyard drinking out of my pool. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, where did this pit bull come from? And how did he get in my backyard to drink out of my pool? So I'm like, okay, well, thank God I didn't let my dogs out because who knows what would have happened. And especially, quite frankly, with Chase's history, that would have just been a catastrophe, especially as I was home alone, right? So I'm sitting there like, what do I do? <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, well, I know my parents are going to come home imminently like they're they're right around the corner they're gonna be here pretty soon so I just held tight I know my dogs have to go pee but I'm just gonna like wait to figure out what my parents suggest right parents show up and they're like there is indeed a pit bull in our backyard well shortly thereafter I'm not sure exactly when because again this was over a decade ago but shortly thereafter there ended up being a second pit bull come wandering into my backyard <laughs> to drink out of the water I'm like what is happening right now, right? Like, where are these dogs coming from and how are they ending up in my backyard? And what was really sad is they weren't doing anything. They were literally just drinking water. And I don't know, it may have been like a spring day, a fall day or something, but they clearly needed water. Otherwise, why would they climb underneath the fence to get to it, right? So finally, my mom or dad, I don't know who suggested, okay, we gotta pee our dogs because they're gonna, they're gonna pee on the floor. Like these dogs need to go. So I was like, okay, we're going to put them on a leash. We're going to take them out of the front yard. So that's what I did. One by one, I took out Chase first, put him on a leash, took him out to go pee, let him do his business, brought him back inside. Everything was fine. Took Lola out on a leash to go pee in the front yard. And pretty soon after Lola was peeing, um, we noticed that the male pit bull had crawled underneath their fence. So now... What we ended up figuring out what had happened by this point, it was all starting to click. Okay. 
what had happened was that our neighbor's dogs, plural, our neighbor's dogs had crawled underneath a fence to get to our yard to drink the water. And then they had also dug another hole underneath another fence to get into the front yard. So now there's a big giant male pit bull. And when I say giant, I'm not like, I'm not saying this to be like exaggerative or sensational. I mean, this was like, he was a strong dog, okay? He had crawled underneath. Here I am with Lola. And I don't know what to do. I'm literally just frozen. I'm like staring. It's like a standoff between me and this dog and Lola. I didn't know if I should yell inside to my parents because remember, my parents are still inside. I didn't know if I should like yell to them and be like, hey guys, there's a dog out here because I didn't know if that was going to freak out the, the, the pity, right? And now he's like standing off at me. Definitely there was like a confrontational vibe. So I just kind of froze. And what ended up breaking the tension uh, was that Lola ended up stepping in front of me. And it was a very deliberate move. And I'm going to like start crying if this, sorry. So Lola ended up stepping in front of me. And as soon as she did that, the dog ended up chasing after us and aggressing us toward us. He ended up first going for Lola because Lola was going to challenge it. And the thing that you guys need to know about Lola is that I had never previously seen anything like this before from her. She was a very sensitive soul. She was a very, um, not confrontational at all. And if I can just digress for a second, sometimes when I hear guardians say that my dog would never attack anything, my dog is the nicest dog in the world. My dog would never ever aggress towards anyone. He's just always been so friendly. That was how I felt about Lola until this day. Because when Lola was put in the position where she felt threatened and when she would put in a position where she felt like she needed to defend herself and me, she absolutely stepped up to the plate. I had never seen her do anything like that before. And she stepped up in front of me. The dog ended up aggressing towards both of us. Uh, it was very loud. And at that point, my parents had heard it. And so had the other pity. Uh, so the other pity who was still in, I don't know, in our backyard in their backyard, I don't know, ended up showing up out of nowhere. I'm a guessing even to this day, I don't know how this dog showed up. I'm guessing she must've crawled underneath the fence again. So now there's two pities attacking us. Plus my parents, plus Lola's on the floor, quite frankly, being heavily aggressed towards, she ended up with a lot of wounds. I ended up getting a bite on my leg and what ended up happening was the female pity ended up being inside our house because our front door had stayed open throughout this entire episode. So the female pity somehow ended up inside our house and now Chase is also inside our house. <laughs> so things are just escalating in a really, really, really intense, bad way. So my dad was taking care of the larger dog um, who at this point was really injuring my Lola. And my mom ended up taking off trying to get Chase at least into a secure place where if this pity is gonna be loose inside her house, at least Chase couldn't get to her. Thankfully, we were able to close Chase into a room so that there wasn't even another dog fight inside her house. So ultimately, the two dogs did end up outside, but now they are running loose in the middle of a suburban neighborhood with all of these kids coming home from school. Because remember, I had walked home from school along with thousands of other children in the neighborhood who were also walking home from school. 
So now these two pitties who have just heavily aggressed towards my dog definitely bit me. And for better or worse, we can talk about why they were the way they were. We're going to get to that. But for better or worse, they were dangerous at that point. Like, let's just call it what it is, right? They're running loose. And my dad is like, this is a problem because there are a lot of kids running around and these two dogs are also running around. So he ends up getting in his car and trying to hunt down these dogs. Do you know where they went? Do you know where they went? They went to another house with another pool where they could drink water. So finally they're cornered. And I, I don't know exactly how it had happened, but I guess whoever owned that house also was staying home, but there was no like other dogs or anything. So my dad knocked on the door and was like, hey, there are two dogs behind her in your backyard. And like, you just want to like keep them there, right? While we call some people. So they called animal control and um, animal control shows up and the long and short of it, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. The long and short of it is that the... Elm control people did show up. They immediately took these two dogs. They were behaviorally euthanized right away. When the animal control people ended up in, uh, stopping by the house, they went through the house and found newborn puppy. And the, again, trigger warning, what was left of a deceased litter. So not only had this female recently at some point given birth, but they were heavily deprived of food and water. And these two dogs were just on the hunt for water and probably food, although they didn't have access to that in anyone's backyard. And so we had two dogs who were heavily deprived of essential needs that were aggressive as a result of that. And I remember hearing this because again, I heard this Almost instantaneously, we found out about the puppies next door. I remember just crying, just absolutely crying. I was looking at my mom like, this is absolutely awful. This is not the dog's fault. This is not their fault. This is not their fault. I was just crushed, right? Mind you, this entire time, guys, the guardians, guardians, I use that in heavy quotations, the guardians of the pities of our neighbors were not even home at this point. So the animal control people, I don't even know how it works, but they ended up calling them and being like, you gotta come home because some stuff's going on. <laughs> so eventually these people showed up. So eventually they get the dogs loaded up. And I remember seeing these two dogs like just being rustled into the vehicle. It was absolutely traumatizing for me. There's no small, like there's no word other than it was traumatizing for me to see these two dogs be wrestled into this vehicle the way that they had to be because they were aggressive. And then there's this poor little puppy, newborn, who they literally had just like wrapped up. And I immediately asked like, hey, what's gonna happen to these dogs? And we immediately found out what was gonna happen to them. I'm not gonna repeat it because if you've skipped ahead, then you already don't want that. But I immediately found out and I was just crushed. I remember guys, fully remember telling the animal control people, do not do that to these dogs. It is not their fault. Please do not do it to these dogs. It is not their fault. And ultimately it had to be done because A, their breed, and B, they had attacked a minor. And simply because of those two things, these dogs had to suffer. And it all rooted from the fact that these poor animals just wanted freaking water. They just wanted water and food and shelter. So from that day forward, thus began three key factors in my life. 
three key like principles that I hold very close to my heart and how I show up in the universe. One was I have a special place in my heart for pities and pit mixes. I think I would have anyway, just because I love the breeds, but that instance just like solidified it in my heart. I was just like, oof. You know, even after I was sitting there watching what had happened to my dog, even after I had seen what had happened to me, even after I was holding Lola and she needed to go to the vet and she needed help, even after all that, I just kept thinking these poor dogs, these poor dogs, these poor dogs. And so that was the first thing that was solidified in my heart is pities have a special place. The second thing that was solidified in my heart is that I have a very strong compulsion in my life. It is just, it comes to me in so many different facets, but I have a very strong compulsion in my life to defend things that are labeled as one thing, but actually are another. Individuals that are labeled as one thing, but are actually another. Topics that are labeled as one thing, but actually another. I have just a very strong compulsion to defend it. And I, and I will like, it's almost irritating because people are like, Jenna, just let it go. Just let it go. I'm like, but I can't, I can't. What you need to understand is that you think it's this way and it's actually that way. You are calling this thing this and it is actually that. And I think that's why one of the reasons, there are a lot of reasons, but I think that's one of the reasons why I ended up working with dogs specifically that are facing anxiety because there are so many dogs that are experiencing reactivity and aggression that even if you want to think of it as like a behavioral problem, sometimes it's not even so much that they have a misperception as it is their aggression is a symptom of anxiety. Their reactivity is a symptom of their anxiety. So you're labeling it as simply like, well, he's got a reactivity. He's got to desensitize his triggers. When in fact, that is like one portion of it. The bigger picture is that his reactivity is a symptom. So I feel like compelled to be like, we're seeing it this way and it's actually that way, right? And that is one of the things that came out of that event for me was I was so frustrated by the fact that these poor dogs were taking blame and were the victims, quite frankly. I mean, Lola and I were victims too, but these poor dogs were victims when in fact it wasn't their fault at all. It was entirely their owners, their guardians. And do you know what those guardians ended up being like penalized with nothing. There was no fine. There was no lawsuit. There was no nothing. Nothing happened. And they ended up getting another dog like a year later or so. So these poor dogs took all of the blame and all they wanted was food and water. And that just like, oh, that can really just put me in a mood. Like even just talking about it, I just like, oof. I want to like hit something about it, you know? And third, third, I learned from that experience, though I think I interpreted it differently then as I do now, right? But I learned from that experience that behavior at the root core stems from essential needs. What we see externally at its root core is stemming from essential needs. I need food. I need water. I need shelter. I need safety. I need compassion and love. And we have a hierarchy of needs. And 
when those needs are not being met, especially the most fundamental ones, safety, water, food, a place to go to the bathroom, when those essential needs are not being met, there are going to be dangerous consequences. That was a huge takeaway for me. Though again, when I was younger, I don't think I interpreted it in that exact same way. So today I feel heavily connected to dogs experience pities and mixes with pit in them. I feel heavily connected to these dogs. I think A, because I love them and B, because I just think of those two dogs. Like when I see clients, dogs of mine's rover teams that are pities, I low key in my mind kind of sort of see those other two, those two dogs that attacked us. Like just like in a subtle way, you know, it's like in the back of my mind. So I want to talk about the experience, like how is it different if you have a pity or a pit mix who is experiencing reactivity and aggression? Why, why are they different? How are they the same? If you were the guardian of one of these, you know, what is your experience? So before we do that, let's all just take a, like a breath. Let's just like come out of this hole for a second. Tell me in the chat. Give me some hearts up on the screen. If you guys can still hear me, uh, everything is working well. Let me know that you guys are ready for this second chapter, second part of the discussion. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening in live. I appreciate it. I'm going to go ahead and assume you all can hear me okay, see me okay. If the text starts getting weird, let me know. The first reason that pities and pitbull mixes are more prone, or I think we may say that they are very likely um, to have reactivity or sensitivity or high arousal. I think why that might be like a statistic is because pities are freaking everywhere. Like almost every single mix has some sort of am staff in them. Like at this point, American Staffordshire is just running rampant in DNA. It's just like, if you got a dog, you probably have an Amstaff. <laughs> and I mean, I know that's an exaggeration, but like, if we be honest about it, this breed has been dropped into so many different individuals, has been bred into so many different, you know, dogs. It's just like, I think that's why the statistics exist. We can say that, you know, pities are more likely to be aggressive because freaking every freaking dog is, has a pity in it. <laughs> you pretty much have to have a purebred, you know, like they're just everywhere. And I think that we have to kind of defy those statistics a little bit because they're not taking into account the fact that the breeding has just ran rampant into everywhere. The thing with having an individual, a breed, shall we say, be dropped into so many different individuals, so many different breeds, is that at this point, they don't really have a hypertrophied part of the predatory motor pattern. So here's what that means if you've never heard this. So the predatory motor pattern is this sequence. It's this hardwired sequence um, in every single dog, every single individual, really, although it's called different things depending on what species you're talking about. Um, but it's this hardwired sequence of events that is basically the process of finding, capturing, killing, eating, and digesting food, prey. Okay. So what has happened in breeding dogs, and I'm not talking about pities anymore necessarily. I'm talking about like dogs in general. If you have a dog, this has happened. 
What has happened is that through artificial selection, we have hypertrophied, which is to say we have exacerbated certain parts of that sequence, right? We have made certain parts of that chain of events more effective in certain individuals, certain breeds. And there are definitely some breeds that have the entire chain, the entire predatory motor sequence intact, um, which means that they're all equally effective. For example, the Dalmatian, which is one of the oldest breeds, is one of the few breeds that has the entire predatory motor pattern intact. Well, with Amstaffs um, or American Staffordshires, these terriers, you know, initially they might have had a hypertrophied grab bite kill bite. And what this basically means is they, they were designed to capture prey, small prey, particularly like rats, right? Capture these small prey and either snap their neck, shake them, or eviscerate them, right? In some capacity. So initially, way, 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 in back in the day, these terrier bully breeds were initially designed to capture small prey and make them no longer, shall we say, right? But because this breed has been used now over the last 400, 500, 600 years for so many different reasons, all ranging from guardian to defense to athleticism and sport and hunting to prey and making sure that the animals are not getting prey underneath their hooves and stuff. Like this breed has been used for so many different reasons that at this point, pretty much everything has a hypertrophy in one way or another. And the problem with this is, although it seems like a good thing in theory, because they're like, wow, it's a well-rounded animal. It's a well-rounded breed. Da, 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 da. And it is. That's cool. But the problem with this is that now when you go and rescue your dog, when you go and bring your, your pity or your pit mix home, you don't know which lineage, which, you know, like heritage your particular pity came from. You don't know. Is my pity meant to be more of a guardian nature? Is my pity meant to be more of a terrier nature? Is my pity meant to be more of a nature? Is my pity meant to be more amicable and like be sociable around humans? Like, where is my pity's, where is this particular pity's lineage coming from? And that can be very infuriating when you're trying to think about how to provide enrichment and you're trying to think about how is this dog's DNA affecting his behavior choices, right? And I say rescue intentionally here because if you have a, shall we say, protected, well-bred, that can lead into a whole other discussion about what the heck well-bred even means. But for the purpose of this, if you have a safely well-bred American Stafford, Staffordshire rather, you can pretty much track the lineage and where that predatory motor pattern is hypertrophied. It's well-tracked. You can document it, right? But if you get your dog from a rescue, as most of the pitties and pit mixes are, they are usually rescues. If you get your pity from a rescue, you don't know what DNA is in this beautiful, beautiful animal? <laughs> Where did you come from? We don't know. And we don't know how your DNA is affecting you. So the other factor with having a breed so closely linked to adoption, so closely linked to rescue, the other factor that we have to confront is that most of the pities 
And again, I don't know that there's necessarily a statistic per se on what I'm about to say, but there are statistics about how many pities are in rescues and in shelters, right? Most of the pities didn't have the socialization in that initial 12 to 16 weeks that they were supposed to. In their puppyhood of 12 to 16 weeks, they were not getting the proper exposure and the proper opportunities to learn about their world. And that could be for a number of reasons, one of which was probably that they were born in a shelter in the first place. And most of the time, if you're born into a shelter, you spend your entire life in a cage until someone finally brings you home. Right? So you take into that account that these dogs are just big genetic question marks, big DNA question marks. And then you add in the fact that they're not getting the socialization that they really should be because they're being born into rescues or they're not being born into rescues, but instead they're being born in the back of someone's yard without food and water and shelter. When you take into account that, you're like, shoot, the deck is stacked against this breed. Like, dude, <laughs> this poor dog did not have the odds in her favor. And then you add in the cultural component. You add in the stigma. I was listening to a podcast episode. Podcast is called The Bitey End of the Dog by Michael Shikashio. He was featuring Daniel Shaw. And he made a really, Daniel Shaw made a really beautiful observation that I was like, yes, yes. And I'm going to share that with you now, but I'm going to give all of the credit to him. Okay. What he observed was that we know that stigma against pities exists, right? This is, we know this, yes. But what's interesting is that the stigma can change depending on what city or even what county you are residing. So you may get your pity from a county where pities are dangerous, pities are deemed awful and they just have a horrible, horrible stigma. You may pick your pity up from that county and then drive him over to your city, drive him into your county, which has pity is abundant and everybody is a pity lover, right? And now they're experiencing a whole different culture shift. And again, this is not a concept. This is not a Jenna original. This is absolutely Daniel Shaw. So all credit goes to him for this like elaboration because this is something that we know but he put it in such beautiful terms i was like thank you for saying it this way beautiful right when you have a dog who a breed an individual who has such an unfortunate stigma against him that stigma and the way it is delivered against that dog can look different depending on literally what you know 10 mile radius you're existing in uh, can you share the name of that podcast later? Yes, it is called um, The Bitey End of the Dog with Michael Shikashio. The Bitey End of the Dog with Michael Shikashio. And that particular episode was with Daniel Shaw. And it was in the last month or so. So I think we have to take into consideration that when you have a pity breed that has unfortunately a stigma against it, especially if we're being honest, a male pity because for some reason males are more aggressive or more dangerous or evil more so than females. Okay. But if you do 
you have to take into consideration how other people's body language against your dog is impacting your dog's perception of them, right? If they're displaying sensitivity and bias and caution, your dog is picking up on that and he may not even know how to interpret it, right? It's not that he's thinking, oh, you're afraid of me, so I'm going to be afraid of you. He's not like necessarily interpreting it in that like straight line. Instead, he's thinking, why are you behaving weird towards me? He's going to start asking questions. He's going to be like, bruh, like what is, what is going on here? And this leads me into one of the reasons if we can kind of shift it a little bit, shift the conversation a little bit. This leads me into one of the reasons why I love pity so much is because for how emotional they can be and how sensitive they can be, they are incredibly perceptive. They are incredibly aware of their world. They're incredibly intelligent. They're, they, they can be very analytical. And when given the right conditions, they make truly just, and again, I know I'm biased and I know my bias is showing here, but they can make truly just the absolute freaking most amazing pet and best friend. Like they are just beautiful, beautiful souls. There is very few things that I love as much as a pit bull giving me a banana curve. And if you don't know what a banana curve is, it is when they go up to you and they push their rib cage up against your shins, up against your front legs. And then they look up at you and they like kind of curve their body and they kind of make a half moon shape. That's called a banana curve. And our pity friends are notorious for it. And I can't tell you just the joy that it brings me when I have a pity do that to me. Like it is, gives me warm fuzzies like you wouldn't believe. And so when I see these dogs who have such a versatile emotional range, like it's really fascinating. Like they're so versatile because they've been bred to be versatile like, I mean, I know earlier in the discussion, I was kind of thinking about it as like a con. You know, you really can't see it either way. It depends on why I guess, guess through which lens you're looking. But it, it absolutely can be a benefit too. how versatile they are is absolutely a benefit because they're adaptable to so many different situations. And that's the thing you guys have to remember is just that like as a guardian, you're not training your pity differently than any other breed. It's not that you're suddenly doing like a different technique simply because your dog has 27.5% pit bull in him or Amstaff, right? No, you're still doing the same process of counting conditioning. You're still doing the process of desensitization. The only difference, if there was going to be any difference, is that probably culture is going to have a stigma against your dog more so than other dogs will face. And probably your dog is going to be deemed less obedient and more in need of obedience than anything else. They don't need a firmer hand. They don't need obedience. That's not the case. They need compassion. And I would argue they might need a little bit more compassion than other anxious dogs. I know that's a bold statement. I know. I know. I know. I know. But all I'm saying is the scared chihuahua underneath the table and the scared cavalier King Charles crawling up your leg gets a lot 
more cultural compassion than the 110 pound Amstaff. And that is wrong in my opinion, because <laughs> they're going through the exact same thing. So take with that what you will. And that is the end of my story time with Jenna. I know that some parts of this was contentious. I know that, but I hope that it resonated. I hope that it sat well with you. Uh, of course, I'm always open to a dialogue. So if you guys have any thoughts, any questions, feel free to type them in the box. If you're watching Team Replay, feel free to write them in the chat box or I mean in the comment section. Uh, Liliana Martinez says, I love when my pity does that. I think she's talking about the banana curve. It is literally, guys, I love the banana curve so much. I can't even begin to describe how much joy it brings me. Thank you all for listening to story time with Jenna at the beginning of this episode. I hope it was okay. Lola, uh, Lola is my, she was the dog that was with me when the incident occurred. Lola, I always called her my little hero because she stepped up for me. Team Phoebe says, thank you for sharing this. The cultural component has been really tougher, especially when training in public places. Absolutely, 100%. Liliana says, what are your thoughts on breed restrictions for renters? And yes, I was talking about the banana curve and the famous but deadly pity to Yes, the tail wag. It's like a little whip. And you know what's cute about it is because they tend to do the banana curve and the little tail wag at the same time. So you, the tail only goes in like one direction. <laughs> it'll like it'll like stop halfway and then like whip to the to the right all the time. <laughs> oh, that's the best. I love it. She asked, "What are my thoughts on breed restrictions for renters?" Man, what a complicated, complicated, complicated issue. Because this is a perfect example of seeing something that is meant to be data-driven, seeing a decision that is meant to be data-driven and therefore implied to be scientific, yeah? But it's not because the, the data isn't, it doesn't have enough context. The data is stripping away context. So the data is actually skewed because it doesn't have context, right? So this is a perfect example of insurance companies because that's really what it is, insurance companies, trying to do something based off of the data, based off of the statistics that pit bulls aggress more, based off of the fact that more children get attacked by pitties, when in fact what's actually happening, when you add in the component of context, what is actually happening, and I'm not going to digress on this because there's a there's, we could open up Pandora's box with this discussion, but what is actually happening when you add in context is that A, people are more likely to report an incident when they know it was a pity. They're more likely to report it when they know it was a pity. They are also the fact, like I talked about at the beginning, which is that pity is in pretty, Amstaff is in pretty much everything at this point. So like, of course, you're going to see the statistics are skewed when you count everything under the sun that has Amstaff in it, because pretty much every other thing under the sun has Amstaff in it. And so of course, it's going to be statistically skewed that way, right? So again, missing context, right? To me, I see why, I see how they came to the conclusion. Let's put it that way. I see how they came to the conclusion that there are certain breeds that are too high of an insurance risk and it's quote unquote not fair for everybody else who doesn't have those breeds. But when you add in the fact that it's stripping context, when you add in the fact that the truth is every single dog is able to display aggression. And again, aggression is, is very likely to occur when their essential needs are not being met, 
when you have an animal that is not getting food, water, shelter, safety, love, compassion, when you have an animal that is not getting their essential needs met, they're more likely to display aggressive tendencies, right? When you take that into account and you objectify it that way, you're like, well, shoot, that can apply to any dog. Exactly. And if they're going to say, well, pities are larger and so they're able to produce more harm, if that is the logic, right? Because they're saying, well, they are stronger, they're larger, and so therefore they can produce more harm. Well, if that's the case, then every dog that is over the size of 45 pounds, let's say 40 pounds, should not be allowed either. You got a Great Dane, sorry. You got a Newfoundland, sorry. <laughs> like, if that's the logic we're going with, that they're larger, then every other dog that is, <laughs> like, of that size should also not be allowed. So, again, we could talk for hours on that. Also, is there anything more we can do as pity lovers or owners to advocate as much as we can for them? I don't claim to be, like, the pity advocate rescue spokesperson or expert, right? So I'm sure that if you spoke with someone who that is their expertise, that is their niche, they would probably give you a more educated solution or more educated reply rather than I'm about to. But in my opinion, one of the ways that we can advocate for these animals, for these dogs is by doing discussions like this, where we have quite frankly, a mixture of emotional appeal and logic appeal we're appealing to pathos and ethos, yeah? We're, we are having a discussion that is, yes, emotionally charged and also logically charged and has an appeal to people's perceptions and, per and it has an open mind to how people are experiencing things. And I do think that if people who, you know, for lack of a better phrase, have been attacked by a pit bull can come up and speak in their defense more, that will shift people whose opinions are against pities who have never even been aggressed towards by one. Like we got people that are freaking sounding the alarm on these animals that have never even been within a five foot radius. Some not even within a freaking 30 foot radius, 50 foot, 500 foot radius of these dogs. And they're sounding the alarms on how dangerous they are. I'm like, I'm sorry. No, but for me, if we can, find this balance where we're having people advocate for them in a way that appeals to everybody's emotions and logic. It can't just be one or the other. We can't just be talking about like science and objective data. And we also can't just be pulling on the heartstrings. When we only pull on the heartstrings, the people who don't have empathy for these dogs, they don't care when you give them a sad story. Like, let's just call it what it is. They don't care. You know, pities are being euthanized at an accelerated rate. They don't care because they don't feel empathy for them. They objectify them. So you can't exclusively be relying on these emotional driven stories. You also need to have the more objective or neutral perspective as well. Most dogs aren't actually people to eat. Okay, so that goes into a whole thing, right? Like the difference between American Staffordshire and um, Pitbull Terriers. Like that is a whole other. <laughs> that could open up. Like, that that is an argument I'm not going to touch toes into because that can get crazy as well. Yes, my dangerous pity is curled up on the couch right now, listening with me. Good, 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 good. Give him or her a good cookie from Auntie Jenna because he or she deserves them. For sure.
thank you all for hanging out with me on this discussion. Um, I'm glad we can all come together and just like, just feel it, you know, just feel it. Any other questions before I let y'all go? I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your week and give your pity or pit mix or piddle as we like to call them. Give your piddle a good yummy treato from Auntie Jenna. Tell them that they are heavily loved, heavily understood, that we are eternally grateful for their beautiful smiles that they give us. They give us the best smiles that we are so thankful for their banana curves and their tail whips that they give us. Make sure you tell them that they are incredibly silly and we really love that silliness in them. And we really appreciate how like they get laugh at their own jokes. Oh, I love when you see them laugh at their own jokes. It's the best. I'm sure you guys know what I mean. There's, that's one of the reasons I love Dalmatians so much is Dalmatians laugh at their own jokes all the time. And it, there's, there's just nothing funnier than watching a dog do something and then laugh at you and be like, <laughs> I win. It is the best. So make sure you tell your people that be like that and tell your pity that she's beautiful and that she has the kindest, sweetest heart and that he is safe and that he is understood and appreciated. That is my call to action for you at the end of this episode. Go team. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Dog Liaison Podcast. If you did, it would help us tremendously if you subscribed to the show, left a review, and or shared with a friend. You can either post on your Instagram stories, make sure you tag me if you do, or send it directly through an email or a DM straight to a friend, letting them know, hey, this episode really made me think of you. Info on how to work with me and the Dog Liaison team is linked in the description box, or you can go to getacomdog.com. We look forward to having you in the next episode. Until then, give your dog a treat for me and we'll talk soon.